Check, check, check. There we go. Good evening. I think we're waiting a couple more classes to come. Thank you for joining us this evening. Welcome to Wednesday evening chapel. This morning started a little bit foggy, and this afternoon the sun came out. Yes, okay. Doing all right. Okay, good. We're privileged to have a um, special guest with us this evening. He is a not not a guest, but more of part of the family community here at NBC. Uh, he's a um, Christian musician, also a songwriter and producer. He's currently the director of publishing at Lilinus Publishing. And he has come for the past few years um, as a guest to the music department. And he's held different uh, songwriting seminars. As, and he's also been coming back as a guest while taking classes here at NBC as well as an online student. But now we welcome him back as an alumnus of Nazareth Bible College. He graduated 2012, class of 2012. So let's welcome Dave Clark. Dave Clark, he's going to minister to us this evening. How y'all doing tonight? Good? Now, I normally lead with a guitar, and I didn't bring one. So since I'm not much of a piano player, y'all are going to have to be double the singer, right? Right? You know the song, Praise is Rising, Hosanna? Let's try that. We, uh, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus. It is, it's an honor to be here tonight, and we had a wonderful service this morning, and, and God's just been good today. I don't know if it's just living on these mountains or what, what it is, but you just feel closer to God. Is that just me? I don't think so. Uh, I did something about 10 minutes before the service started that I have never done in my life. You're dying to know what that is, aren't you? I went to the bookstore, and I bought a shirt that said, Alumni. <laughs> I have never in my life been able to do that. Yeah, yeah. I not only bought a, a T-shirt, I bought a sweatshirt, and I'm, that way I can, I can brag all year around that I actually graduated from someplace, and uh, this is my first time to come out here as an alumni, and, and it, Dr. Graves and I talked today, and just what, what an exciting thing that was last year. And I told one of the pictures that we talk about pictures almost as a metaphor sometimes, but, but I have an actual picture, one of my favorite pictures in my entire life, that somebody took when I went through the line and I hugged Dr. Graves and I was crying and he was laughing. It was just one of those awesome moments that we captured. And so if anybody ever doubts that I went to college, I have a picture. So, hey, tonight, just for a few minutes, if, if you will, I want us to look at, a, I want us to look for just a few minutes at the eighth chapter of Matthew. This is uh, one of those Sometimes when, when we know a story so well, and this is one of those stories that is so familiar that little kids learn it when they're in Sunday school, and if you've been around the church at all, you, you know it by memory. And we've even taken, it's, it's the eighth chapter of Matthew, and, and we've even taken that, and, and we've made it a metaphor for any time we're going through something rough in our life that we talk about the storms in our life. And it came from this chapter. So everybody knows that, and sometimes if you're like me, there's a tendency that we, we, we know the story so well that we jump right to the good part. We, we go right to the ending, we know how the story's going to end, and we go right there. And sometimes we miss out on what I think maybe God's wanting us to see about a text that maybe we have looked at so many times. 
And one of the things that I, I told the, the faculty this morning that one of my first books that I got when I was a student here was a book called How to Read a Book. And my kids made fun of me. They said, you need a book to, to learn to read a book? And I said, well, evidently they think I do. And the big irony for me is that in the months since I have graduated, what I have realized is that I learned to read the book. I went from learning to read a book to fresh eyes on the, the scriptures that all my life I had read in, in little snippets and I had read in little verses. And I've, I've been realizing for the last year the seamlessness of God's word and how it just comes alive. And there are things that I never saw. And, and, and this is one of those chapters that, that when I was, I was reading it just, just a few weeks ago, and I, I saw some things in here I've never seen before. And I couldn't get it off my mind is what maybe I was supposed to share with you this evening. Let's start uh, down at verse 23, chapter 8, verse 23. It says, Then he got into the boat, and the disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He said, You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Isn't that a great picture? One of the things that, um, when I read this, I, I, I got to tell you right up front, I'm, I'm not a boat person. I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a fisherman. My wife and I have been married 31 years, and for 31 years I've avoided going on a cruise. I'm just not that guy. Now, we may get there at some point, but in 31 years, it has not been a priority yet for me to get on a boat. I, I like to know that when I walk out of the restaurant, if the food's bad, I can get in my car and drive home. I, I don't like to be where I can't find the back door. That's just not my nature. And I don't even like those little three-hour cruises. I don't even like those little dinner boat things. I have watched way too many episodes of Gilligan's Island. I know that even a three-hour cruise can go bad. You know what I mean? So when I read this story, I'm reading it as one who is not familiar with the boat scene. We go back, and, and there's, a, there's a real fascinating dialogue that takes place. In order for us to, to get to that tonight, I want to go back, and I want to look at some of these earlier chapters. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, we're talking back in 18 now, verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. There's something pretty fascinating going on here. I, I told you I'm not a boat person, but when I read the story and I go back and, and I've, I've done enough of Dr. King's papers here that I, I know how you have to do all the research to get to the text. And when I go back and I read this, I, I know that I'm, I'm reading about Jesus' relationship with his disciples, and I know that I'm reading about people that were familiar with the boats. These were fishermen by trade. These were not only men that were familiar with boats, they were familiar with water. Not only were they familiar with water, but they were familiar specifically with the Sea of Galilee. It would have been almost routine back in that day and time for them to have made what, what they tell me is an eight-mile trek from, from the west side to the east side. These were men who were familiar with the water. They were familiar with, with boats. They were familiar with the Sea of Galilee. Not only that, they were familiar with some storms. 
How do I know that? Because even though I've never been to the Holy Land, I've, I've studied the maps and I've, I've done just enough of the science research to know that sometimes the Sea of Galilee sits down at the foot of what we know as the Golan Heights. And there's an area in the, in the Sea of Galilee that's landlocked, and they say that, that sometimes it can serve like a wind tunnel, and, and the, the wind can sweep over that area that's landlocked, and it, and it becomes like a, uh, almost a bowl where the, where the wind can sweep over. They say that even today there's some pretty nasty storms that come up on the Sea of Galilee. So I know that these guys, they were familiar with the water. They, they were familiar with boats. They were familiar with the Sea of Galilee. And because of that, they were familiar with some storms they had to have been. Not only were they familiar with all these things, but they were also familiar with uh, this man named Jesus Christ. They, they were his followers. They, were, they, they had an up-close view of the miracles that he had done. And even in this very chapter, if you go back to verse uh, 3, that, that it, he cleansed the, the, the leper. You go up to verse uh, 13, and he healed the centurion's servant. You go to verse 16, and, and it talks about all the miracles that were done at Peter's house. These were the guys who were there. They saw it. They got to watch it up close. They were familiar with this man named Jesus. And, and I think all of that's so important as we work our way back to the text tonight. All that is so crucial to bear in mind because it gives a whole added dimension when we get to this dialogue that, that starts in verse 18. It says, when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, and you start to read that, and you, you know what's going on here. You know what the scribes were back in that day. They were the people that knew all the right things to say. They knew when to say it. They knew how loudly to say it. They knew the law. So you've got a teacher of the law. You've got a scribe, and he's going, Hey, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. And that's kind of the first level of following, isn't it? As we say, Yep, Lord, we're with you. Hey, whatever you call us to, we're going to do. But you go on and, and you keep reading in the next verse, in verse 20, Jesus' response is pretty odd to that. Now, is, didn't they say the right things? Didn't they say, hey, we're going to go with you wherever you go? And what does Jesus say to that? You would think he would say, awesome. Come on, let's go. Let's roll. But he doesn't. What does he say? He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What does that mean? What's going on with that? And, and so I'm reading this, and I'm trying to read it with fresh eyes, even though I've heard this preached and talked about all my life. And I go back, and I realize that part of the problem is, all my life I have heard this preached and as if Jesus was going over to the other side of the lake to get away from the crowds and get some R&R. &R. I almost picture it like he's going to sit on the lake, and he's going to sit where it's quiet. He's just going to get some, some refreshment in, you know. But when I begin to study about what, what this side of the lake was like and what that side of the lake was like, that's not, a, not it at all. He's not going for some rest and relaxation. What he's going over there for, he's going, into, he's going into some rough territory. Over here on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, it's the Jewish area. It's the people, they were supportive of his ministry. They, that's why the crowds were coming. Where he's going over on the other side of the lake, it's not near that way. 
he's going over to where it's predominantly Greek, and, and there's an area called the Decapolis, and there's, there's ten Greek cities. These are people who are not receptive at all. So what Jesus is saying to this the scribe is, hey, you say you're going to follow me. You need to know this is not going to be like it is here. Even the Son of Man isn't going to have a place to lay his head. And if you keep reading that chapter, as soon as he gets over there, what's he doing? He's, he's dealing with, with the demon possessed, and he's, he's taking on stuff that's head on. What he's saying is, you're going to follow me? It's not going to be that easy. You keep reading. Another disciple says to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And, and, and again, you know, you think, well, that's a pretty common thing. I, I can see a guy asking if his dad just died. And I go back and I study all the, the books, and I've, I've read anything I can get my hands on with this. And it says that chances are pretty good that the man's father had not died. Back in that day, it was their job to stay and take care of the family. And so what they're saying is, hey, I'm going to go with you, Lord, but I want to negotiate the time. I want to negotiate the timetable. I want to negotiate the details. And so he's saying, the Lord says to him, hey, let the dead bury the dead. Let, let the spiritually dead take care of the, 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 the human dead. What he's saying is, if you're going to go, you've got to go now. And there's, so you've got that second level of, of, of following you got the guy who's saying, I'm going to go with you, but I want to negotiate all the details. You keep reading, and you get down to verse 23, and it says, Then he got into the boat, and the disciples followed him. And what's going on here is you've got the third level of follow where the disciples actually got in the boat. Now, these are, these are the real committed followers. These are the people who are saying, yeah, you know what? You've weeded out the ones who just said they were going to follow but didn't. You've weeded out the ones who, who said they were going to go, but they wanted to negotiate the terms of it. And now you've got this group that actually got in the boat. And then what happens? It says that uh, the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. Now, I don't know about how it is with you. I can go on a vacation with my family. And I can drive from Nashville to Florida and have done it. I remember one trip, my wife and I, before we had kids, we drove all the way to Florida, and the only thing she said to me the whole way was she woke up and said, if you see a rest area, will you stop? You know why? When we get in the car, I don't need her help. I don't want her help. I know how to drive the car. I'm probably going to get in a lot of trouble. This is being filmed, isn't it? But here's what I think's going on here. Jesus goes to sleep because he's not needed. You, you, got, you got disciples, they know the water, remember? They, they know their way around the boat, and it's almost like they're saying, hey, Lord, you did real good with that whole miracle stuff. But now we're on the water. This is our territory. We know what we're doing out here. And they really didn't need him to do anything right up until what? Until they hit a storm that was bigger than they knew how to deal with on their own. Pretty fascinating that when they go and they, they wake him up, the first thing he does, he doesn't calm the storm. In, in Matthew's version of the story, the first thing he does is he, say, he questions him. So, hey, well, are you a little faith? What, what's the deal? It, 
And if I could put words in his mouth, I think he may have been saying something like, hey, don't you think if I called you to the other side of the lake, I'm going to make sure you get there? Don't, don't you think that I'm not worried about this storm, maybe because I'm the one that created the winds and the waves to begin with? Don't you think that's why I'm not necessarily worried about it? We're going to get to the other side of the lake. You get down to verse 27. It says, the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? I love the translation. When the, when the storm was calmed, it was, it was an immediate calm. It was a dead calm, one of the translations says. He, he got up. He, he, he knew what level of followers he had with him. And he got up and he calmed the storm after he rebuked them for having little faith. I love the sequence of that. And when you get down to that last verse, in verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? You know what's going on here is all of a sudden they finally found a storm that was bigger than what they knew how to deal with on their own. And what happened? They found a new level of understanding for this man named Jesus. Now remember, they had been with him. They had watched him work the miracles. They'd seen him do all these things. They'd seen the crowds gather. But even still... Now they have seen a new level of Jesus. Why? Because they had a new level of need. I'm telling you what, this morning, I stand here before you as one who has been through some storms in my life. Do, do I believe that, that Jesus will let us face a storm that's more than what he can take? No. But do I believe that Jesus will let us encounter a storm that's bigger than we can handle on our own? Absolutely. I, I, I've been there. I've lived this. I, I've been at that point, and, and, and I didn't mean to have Jesus sleeping in the boat. But i got to tell you, there have been some times in my life when I thought I had it going on, and I thought, I'm in my wheelhouse now. I'm in my comfort zone. I'll call you if I need you. And all of a sudden, I find myself straight face to face, right in the jaws of, of a storm that's bigger than anything I know how to handle on my own. And I understand what the disciples are saying when they say, what kind of man is this? He, all that we knew about him, all the miracles that we knew he could do, he's bigger than that. But I didn't know it until I had a bigger need than I'd ever had before. We're talking about levels of following tonight. One of the things that I remember most about my early days of coming to this campus I traveled for five years with a group called the Spear Family, and, and some of the most amazing God encounters that I ever remember on the road with them happened on this mountain. There were times that, that, that even though they were awesome people, they are awesome people. There were times that I felt like maybe I was just playing guitar. 
I, I wasn't on the front line of the ministry. I was just playing guitar. And I'd come out to this school, and the people, the students in the, in the student body that would come to those chapels, they ministered to me. And I always believed in my heart, and I still believe it now. It was because those people had made a greater commitment to follow. They'd gotten past the people who just said, Yeah, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do gotten past the level of people who said, hey, I want to go, but I'll go when I get older. Because back in that day, the, the entire student body was filled with people, mostly who, who'd given up a, a steady job to come here and pursue God's call on their life. There was something in that deeper level of following that God used to minister to a young guitar player. I'm, I'm going through all this quick tonight. There's, there's so much more, and, and the fact that I would get up and try to preach without notes is, is pretty intimidating to me. That's not my nature. But, but I've, I've read this text, and I've read it, and I've read it, and God has used it to minister to me. And he's asking me that question, all right, Dave, what level are you ready to follow me? Dr. Graves and I talked today at lunch. We talked about we don't know what, what God's doing in my life. I don't know what God's got in store for me. All I know is today, on this day, I'm supposed to be in this chapel on this mountain. But I'm saying, Lord, I'm, I'm getting in the boat. I, I know the other side's going to get a little bit rougher. I don't know what you got in store for me. And I know I'm talking to some people tonight who have made that same level of commitment. God has brought you here for a reason that you may not even understand yet. And if you haven't faced some storms yet, I'm telling you what, they're coming. And in this journey of following, you're going to encounter a, a God that you never even knew existed. And I celebrate the storm with you. Dave, Dave Church and I were talking this evening before the, the service about the Salvation Army and the alignment that they have with, with the Nazarenes and, and, and how we've been able to work with them from a, from a, a scholastic approach. It was about 125 years ago, there was a, a Salvation Army officer, and his name was Ernest Blandy. And back in that day, they, they gave this, this he was an officer slash preacher, they gave him a choice of what his next assignment was going to be. And they, they gave him two options, and they said, one is that you can go to this church that we've got for you, and it's a comfortable church, and you can probably ride it into retirement. The other option is that you can go and you can work in the waterfronts of New York City. And back in that day and time, it was one of the worst sections of New York. And, and it was during that era that they actually gave it the name Hell's Kitchen. So Ernest Blandy had the choice. I can either go to Hell's Kitchen or I can go to this traditional comfortable church setting. Do you know by, by now what he chose? He chose to go to New York and work in the waterfront, the worst part of New York. When, when he made the decision that this is what he was going to do, 
There was no turning back. There was no looking back. There was no second guessing. There was no uh, moment of regret from everything that I have read about this man. But after the decision had been made to go to New York, he sat down at his table and he picked up a pencil and he, he wrote some words out. And they're words that we have sung in the church for a hundred years. And this is what he wrote. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. Where he leads me, I will follow. And he had the first level of following. But he didn't stop there. He said, I'll go with him. With him. And he didn't stop there. All the way. He, he didn't stop writing there. He, he wrote an, a verse that said, he will give me grace and glory. He will give me grace and glory. He will give me grace and glory. And what? He'll go with me. With me. All the way. I don't know who I'm talking to tonight. I don't know what storms you may have already encountered on your way to this chapel service. And I, I didn't even know how we were going to close tonight. And... But here's what I want us to do. All my life in the church, I've heard us sing that song, and we've sung it almost like a funeral dirge. I've, I've heard congregations stand, and they go, Where he leads me, I... Right? You know what? Tonight, I can't think of a better way to close this service than for us to stand and want us to sing this chorus not as a funeral dirge, but as a statement of commitment that wherever he leads us, we are willing to get in the boat and go all the way to the other side of the lake. Are you there tonight? Will you stand and sing that with me? With you. Oh, Lord. Dear Lord, I pray right now for, for the, the lives and the stories and the journeys that are represented not only in this room, but, but Lord, for all my online brothers and sisters who are sitting out there somewhere tonight, maybe going to watch this video, and, and they're dealing with some of those same questions that, 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 that I wrestled with. Lord, what are you doing? But Lord, may you, may you use this chapel service as a reminder to them of the call that you placed on their life and the commitment to follow that they made, Lord. And as we go forward and we go over to the other side of the lake and we don't know what we're going to get into in the days and the months and the years ahead, Lord, we don't want you going to sleep. Will you stand beside us? Will you walk with us and talk with us? And Lord, we give us grace and glory and go with us all the way. We ask it in your precious, precious name. Amen. Thank you so much.